are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. I invite you this evening to turn with me to the book of Leviticus. We are continuing through this book. We're now in chapter 2. Leviticus chapter 2. It's on page 81 of the Pew Bible, if you're looking in one of those. And you'll remember, at the end of Exodus, Israel encounters a problem. Yes, they've been brought out of slavery from Egypt. And yes, God has brought them through the Red Sea and delivered them from their enemies. God has given them instructions to build a temple, and they followed every single instruction or to build the tabernacle while they're wandering through the desert. And they built the tabernacle and God's presence descended upon the tabernacle. But there's a problem. The people of God can't go in. They can't behold the glory of God. They can't be near the presence of God. And so inserted in the narrative, we have the book of Leviticus that answers this question. How do God's people approach a holy God? And we see, yes, this microcosm of Israel, what was going on for them, but we see these grand principles for us today for how to approach a holy and righteous God. Last time we looked at the burnt offering, and this evening we look at the grain offering. So let us turn our attention to reading. We'll just read verses 1 through 3 and then skip down and read verses 11 through 13. We're skipping over verses 4 through 10, which is speaking of different kinds of of grain offerings, and I'll speak of those uh, as is appropriate through the sermon. And then we'll skip verses 14 through 16. Again, another kind that we'll speak of later. But we'll get the gist and understanding what the grain offering is from reading verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 13. So hear now the word of the Lord from Leviticus chapter 2. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. And then down to verse 11. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, have you ever been overwhelmed with gratitude? Where you maybe find yourself in a bind and then someone in their great generosity bails you out. Where you find yourself in a moment of great need, no way to provide for yourself, but somebody comes in and meets that need unexpectedly. I can't help but think of our own family's recent experiences and how so many people in this room, in the Redeemer Church community, other family and friends came to us and and, and helped us in so many wonderful ways. We are so grateful, but saying thank you doesn't seem to be adequate, does it? 
in these kinds of situations where people come and do something for you, just saying thank you doesn't seem to be enough. You, you want to do something, do you not? You want to do something for them, but of course you don't pay people back for their kindness and their unconditional generosity and love for you. But it is true that gratitude does propel us to want to do something in response. Not as a condition of what we've been given, but because you can't help it. It wells up within you to express your gratitude. And for Israel, this grain offering is part of how God designed for them to express their thanks to him, to express their gratitude in this way. The grain offering, and we have an ESV, it it translates it as grain offering. Other people might call it a cereal offering or a meal offering. The root of this word, translated grain offering, it comes from the sense of to give a gift or to give a tribute to somebody. So some have called this a gift offering or a tribute offering. I do think grain offering is good because it expresses what's being offered in most cases. But I also like the idea of a tribute offering because this is an an offering to pay tribute to a great king who has done so much for his people. This was a standard daily offering that was offered in the tabernacle and later the temple. The priests would offer first the burnt offering and then immediately after it, they would follow that up with a grain offering, morning and evening. And then on the Sabbath, they'd offer twice as much. And then on feasts and festivals and new moons, they would offer more. This was something that was a part of the pattern, the rhythm of life in Israel. When you came to the tabernacle or the temple, you were well aware of these offerings. But it was also an opportunity for individuals to bring their own offerings. It wasn't compelled. You weren't required to bring the grain offering, but you could. And when would you do this? Well, it seems it's non-compulsory, but it seems you would do it when you were filled with gratitude or desired to pay tribute to God. And so this was probably the most famous, second most famous offering. That's just why it comes after the burnt offering. Every Israelite was familiar with it and aware of it. But it stands in stark contrast to the burnt offering that we considered last time. Remember, the burnt offering was an offering of an animal. It was, it was bloody. It was the life of an animal that was offered on the sacrifice. This is no animal. There's no blood. This is the fruit of the ground. This is grain. In the burnt offering, the entire animal was burned. All of it. None of it was held back for a feast or a meal or anything. All of it was burned on the offer. But with the grain offering... Only a handful, only a small representative portion was burned. The rest of it was given to the priests. And significantly, you remember with the burnt offering, there were several purpose phrases that were inserted into chapter one of Leviticus that explain what's happening for the burnt offering. Why is it here? And some of these phrases were to be accepted by the Lord or as an atonement for the offerer. But we don't see that language in chapter two. We don't see that with regard to the grain offering. The grain offering is not for an atonement. This is not to be made acceptable before God. This is a gift you give to God, a tribute offered to him. So there's very, these are very different offerings, but usually offered near or at the same time. They're complementary, but they speak of different things. And so as we look to this tribute offering, the grain offering, we see that God is pleased to receive Thanksgiving from his people. God is pleased to receive thanksgiving from his people. And we'll look at two things this evening. First, the practice of the grain offering, 
And then second, the meaning of the grain offering. Well, let's first look at the practice of the grain offering. What practically, we just read it, but what practically did this look like for Israel to bring these grain offerings? Well, there were five kinds of grain offerings. We read of one kind. There were four other kinds that we didn't read of. And the one we read is this uncooked offering, this offering of fine flour. This is verses one through three. The second, uh, the second third, and fourth kinds are all cooked offerings. It's fine flour, but baked in an oven or baked on a griddle or cooked in a pan. These are the three kinds of cooked offerings, cooked grain offerings that could be offered. And then the fourth or the fifth kind of grain offering is the first fruits offering. At the harvest, you would bring the first fruits, the first portion to the Lord and offer it to him. And the main element of all of these offerings, all five of these grain offerings, is something very valuable and often time-consuming to prepare. Whether it's uncooked, you're presenting fine flour. And it's not necessarily meaning the small flour, but fine as in the best quality, the finest of your flour. Flour fit for a king. And so you would bring the best to the Lord. Or maybe this was uh, the cooked offerings. And it would take time and meticulous preparation. Again, preparation for a king to prepare this meal or this first fruits. And think of this, denying yourself the first fruits and giving them to the Lord. Maybe you're getting tired of, of the, the stale grain from last year's harvest and you get the first crop off, off of the land. And what do you do with it? Instead of eating it, which would be the best meal you've had in a while, you take it to the Lord. How valuable that is to do. So these five kinds, the main element is something valuable from the land. And the general procedure is, is this. It's very simple compared to the burnt offering. You prepare your offering. You bring it to the temple. You present it to the priests, Aaron's sons. And then the, the priest would then take a handful or a small portion of it and would offer it up on the altar, would burn it on the altar as a memorial portion to the Lord. And it's interesting when you look at, at flour, Flour is actually quite flammable. When you toss uh, flour over an open flame, it is quite flammable. I wouldn't recommend trying it at home. You can look it up on YouTube like I did. That's how I learned anything. But it's mixed with these, this oil and this frankincense. And there, there's a theatrical element to what's happening. This is a demonstration as you throw the flour on the fire, a fireball erupts. This is something being offered to the Lord as, in a theatrical way. And so it's very sensory. You smell it, you see it, you feel the heat coming off of the altar. The remaining part is given to the priest that he can take home and, and eat with his family. And then the last part, again, to make note of, is this makes a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This is something acceptable to the Lord, something the Lord desires from his people. And we must remember through all of this procedure, it's not going through the motions for Israel. We often think of the temple in that way, going through the motions. And certainly Israel abused its, its special privilege of coming to the Lord. It abused it and made it going through the motions, but it wasn't intended to be going through the motions because faith was an essential component to all of this. As you entered the temple, no doubt there were songs of praise. They sang the Psalms. Some of the Psalms we're singing now. The Psalms were sung, prayers were prayed. All of this was offered to the Lord as, as a as a worship service. 
God is edifying and building up and encouraging his people through this means of grace, through worship, through rendering these offerings to the Lord. Now, there's a couple specific instructions here that are worthy of making mention of. And we look at some of these, and it's difficult sometimes as we go through Leviticus. There's a lot of fine details, and sometimes we don't understand all of why all these fine details are there. And we need to be careful not to read too much into things or to go too far in areas we don't know. But I do think we can make some important biblical and reasonable connections that help us understand some of these details most of the time. God gives a couple instructions for what may not be included in this grain offering. What cannot be a part of it, he says in verse 11, no yeast or honey. Now, honey here refers to bee honey that we think of, but it can also refer to nectar, fruit nectar, or or fruit juice of some kind, a sweetening agent. And you could offer these, though, and they're part of your first fruits offering, but you can't offer it as an additive to the other offerings. And of course, we want to know why. That seems random. And scholars do their best to try to connect dots and make make sense of it. I think Jay Sklar does a great job in his commentary um, highlighting different views out there. What do some of the scholars say about this? And here's what Jay Sklar says. First, as leavening agents, yeast and honey were associated with corruption and were thus prohibited from the altar. Or second, leavening agents cause changes in the dough and were thus suspect, since change was not in keeping with the emphasis in Leviticus on order and keeping each in its proper place. So the first one, is, it's, um, it's adding corruption to the offering. Second option is it's just simply causing changes inside the bread, the grain that's being offered. And then the third option was particular reference to yeast. It was a living organism, and only dead things could be burned on the altar of sacrifice. I don't know which one's true, or maybe none of these are, but I think it helps us see there, there, there is some logic behind this. And the Lord is teaching Israel something that maybe today is lost on us. So yeast and honey are not to be included, but three things were required to be included. And the first of these is oil. All of these offerings require oil to be a part of them. Oil adds a richness of flavor. Oil is flammable. Oil has an association with the consecrating work of the Holy Spirit. And oil also has a connection with joy in the Old Testament and imagery. So we see a number of things going on with oil as an important part to remember this is a joyous occasion. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the one setting apart these sacrifices to the Lord adding richness to the offering. The second thing that must be included is frankincense, at least in the uncooked and the first fruits offering. We're not sure whether they had to include that in the, uh, in the cooked offerings. It's not explicit about that point, but they had to include frankincense. Now, frankincense is uh, not something that's edible. So all the frankincense was offered on the altar. And it's a rare oil or a sap from certain trees with a, ra- a fragrant aroma. It beautifies the offering. It makes the offering smell that that wonderful, fragrant aroma. It reminded Israel of the beauty of sacrifice and the joy of sacrifice. And then the third point, uh, that the, the third element that must be included is salt. And we, we read verse 13 that speaks of this. You can kind of scratch our head. What does the salt of the covenant with your God mean? 
And to us, it doesn't make sense. We lose the cultural connection. But in the ancient world around Israel, salt was commonly used to establish and commemorate covenant obligations. This is well attested. Uh, Babylonian records, Persian records, Arabic records, Greek covenants were all attested to with salt or meal with a significant amount of salt. It's part of establishing and memorializing and remembering covenants. And so what this does, God is calling Israel to say, look, this is part of a bigger framework of relating to me. This is not a a one-off thing. It's calling to mind for Israel the covenant that God has made with them. God's gracious dealings with his people. We also have that, that term, a memorial portion. And scholars point us to the fact that that speaks to covenant realities as well. Remember when Christ institutes the Lord's Supper says, do this in remembrance of me. There's a remembrance, a remembrance portion, a memorial portion that's offered on the altar. It's a covenant offering. This covenant between God and man is being highlighted here for us. So it's this covenant God that we're dealing with, a God who delights in his people. And so Israel must bring salt to remind them of that so we've hit the highlights of the practice of this offering, and we've seen some of the, the meaning, but let's go more explicitly into the meaning of this grain offering. What does all of this mean? They go through, it seems like going through the motions. What does this mean for Israel and for us today? Well, the first thing for us is it teaches us that thanksgiving is a duty for the Christian to render to God. The first and the 10th commandments tell us. The first commandment, shall have no other gods before me. The 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. Together, they remind us, it's not just coveting that God's all about. It's not just contentment that God is calling us to. All of humanity is called to render thanksgiving to God. That is one of our obligations as creatures. Just because we are made in God's image, we are due to render him thanksgiving. And so this offering reminded Israel constantly of their duty before God as creatures to give God thanksgiving. He is supreme. He is the Lord. And to give him tribute that he is due. Now, we might be entering the realm of speculation here. And so I don't want to push it too far. But I think it's at least possible, if not probable, I'd like to think it's probable, but it's at least possible to to conceive that Adam and Eve offered grain offerings even in the Garden of Eden before the fall or something comparable to grain offerings, thanksgiving offerings, tribute offerings to God because this is something that all of us are required to render to God, thanksgiving. And this is only natural to give God the first fruits of what we receive because he's given to them, given it to us anyway. So this is something embedded in human nature. We are to give thanks and tribute to God, and it was rendering tribute to the covenant Lord for Adam and Eve. It's kind of a wonder when we think of this that it was asked of Israel to offer this day and night because Israel was a people known not for contentment, not for thanksgiving, but a people known for what? Grumbling. You go through the Old Testament, you go through the first five books of the Bible and over and over and over, Israel grumbled. I, haven't, I didn't go back through to see how many times, but it's time and time again. Grumble, grumble, grumble. But God sets up this sacrifice to remind them, no, 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 no. You are called to pay me 
tribute. I am the sovereign Lord who does care for my people. I hold you in the palm of my hand. You can render tribute to the king because he is good. But the inability to render this sacrifice correctly began with Cain right after the fall. You remember Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve who presented sacrifices to God. And what did Cain offer to God? Cain offered sacrifices to God from the fruit of the ground. He offered a grain offering to the Lord. And he, now we, we know he did this without faith. He did this without actually giving thanks to God. He did this because of maybe some external pressure. He thought this is what he was required to do. His brother was offering a, a, a sacrifice of, of, of cattle and sheep. But what did he do? He offered an inappropriate offering to the Lord. And this is a picture to us of all of humanity. Israel lived it out, and you and I live it out every day of people who fail to render thanks due to God. We do not give tribute to the sovereign king the way we ought to. Instead, we live in rebellion. Instead, we try to buck off God's sovereignty and say, no, I'm, I'm the king of my own ship, the master of my own ship, the king of my own domain. This reality is signified to Israel by the fact that they had to have a priest offer this for them. Israel couldn't come up to the, the altar and put their offering on the altar. They needed one who could mediate between them and God. They need someone who could even offer their sacrifices before them because they were impure. And of course, the priests were impure too, so they offered sacrifices over and over that they would be purified before God. Nobody could render the sacrifice of thanksgiving that is due to the sovereign Lord. So what do we have here? So what does this leave us with? Of course, you know where we're going, right? This leads us with the one who could render perfect thanksgiving and tribute and praise and honor and obedience to the covenant Lord. It is the man Christ Jesus, is it not? The man who purely rendered thanksgiving the one who purely gave all the tribute to God in heaven, his father in heaven. His life was the perfect grain offering rendered to God. He did it. There's no shadow of, of sin or stain in what he rendered to God, but every single moment of every single day, of every single month, of every single year of his life, he rendered a perfect heart of praise and thanksgiving to his father. Can you imagine that? And rendering perfect thanksgiving to God, we now have the benefit of his thanksgiving. You all probably know of Gresham Machen, J. Gresham Machen, a great founder of Westminster Seminary and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. He sent his last telegram as he was on his deathbed, I believe in... North Dakota somewhere. He sent it to his friend, John Murray, who was back in Philadelphia. And he said this, I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. How Christ actively obeyed every day of his life. How Christ actively fulfilled the grain offering by rendering the perfect service to his God. 
That active obedience of Christ, this is why Machen cared so much about it. He knew that it was imputed to him. He stood before the Father as if he had done everything the Son had done. In salvation, we stand before the Father clothed with that active obedience of Jesus Christ. We have no hope without it because otherwise we have no righteousness on which we can stand. There is truly as Machen said, no hope without Christ's grain offering for us. And so we see here, we see here that thanksgiving is a duty to render to God, but it doesn't stop there because thanksgiving is a delight now for the Christian because it is grounded in Leviticus. The grain offering is grounded in the burnt offering. It was offered every day by the priest after the burnt offering, after the atonement, after the forgiveness of sins, after the purging away by the blood of the sacrifice, then thanksgiving is rendered to God. And this is the picture of the Christian life, is it not? That because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, we'll call the passive obedience of Christ, how he took the curse that we deserved. And now in light of that, we can render, yes, stained, yes, impure, but we can still render now thanksgiving to God, not as the basis of our salvation, but as that outworking of the gratitude that we have to him for his salvation. The burnt offering is so significant as it stands as that gateway to enter the presence of God. You must be, your sin must be atoned for. You must be purged of your sin. It must be wiped away. And only then can you offer thanksgiving to God. And that is true of the Christian. That in Christ, the burnt offering for us, we can now render thanksgiving. We continue to offer thanksgiving. And it's not merely as this creational ordinance any longer. Because Christ has fulfilled that for us. This is now a response to God's grace. I'm sure you've heard of the guilt-grace-gratitude paradigm. Right? Guilt, we are guilty before a holy God in our sin, but the grace of God comes to us. Yes, the Heidelberg Catechism tells us this. The grace of God comes to us in our guilt. And then what's the response to knowing the grace of God, being forgiven, being wiped clean, having the righteousness of Christ? What can we do but give thanks to God with gratitude? And under the Heidelberg Catechism, as it's set up in these three blocks, under gratitude, it's how do we live as Christians? How do we honor God? How do we obey his law? Because this is the way in which we render gratitude to God. And our imperfect thanks to God is purified by the one who still is our high priest, Jesus Christ. He purifies them and brings them to the Father. And so we render gratitude through his appointed means today, by praising, by gathering, by praising and singing, confessing, saying God's, speaking of God's glory, by praying, by yes, giving monetarily, giving of those things that are valuable to us, to the Lord, by sacrificing for others in the community, by laying down our life for our friend. These are ways that we render gratitude and thanksgiving to God. And these are all means that God, is, God uses to work in our lives, to grow us, to show us his grace, grow us, show us his glory all the more. And to be moved by the grace of God leads to a gratitude that should infect our daily lives. Of course, we're still sinful. 
And of course, we confess to our family and to our friends and to our church community and to all those that we know, yes, we are still full of sin, but this grace permeates us and our lives begin to look different. Our lives are different because of gratitude, because all that we have is because of Jesus Christ. Nothing I have brought to the table. And so our daily life is affected by the grace of God. And no, we don't continue to offer the grain offering today. It's not something that we do, but we have it, it has its analogies to things that we offer. But ultimately, this grain offering points us to the one who has offered the perfect grain offering, offering of his whole life to God. It points us to Jesus Christ. And as we see his grace for us, we are overwhelmed with gratitude. A gratitude that leads us to action, action in worshiping, action in giving our whole self to God in obedience. And so, brother, sister in Christ, in light of the redemption that you have in Christ, the, burn, the grain offering is a, a call for us to render thanks to God. But no, even your thanks is not enough. We continue day by day, over and over to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the grain offering for all of us who call on the Father in the name of the Son. Amen. Praise God. Let us look to him in prayer. Oh, Father, we have a great high priest who not only intercedes for us, but has offered a burnt offering and a grain offering on our behalf to make us holy and pure in your presence. And so now, Father, equip us to honor you with gratitude in our lives, that you would be glorified in the way that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us this week, encourage us this week to see the sin that we live in, that we would repent and that we would live a new life of gratitude all the more. Help us with the challenges that will come this week. May your spirit strengthen and equip us. We love you, O oh Lord, and are grateful for the active obedience of Christ. We have no hope without it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.